The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your speaker today. Every believer needs to understand who they are in Christ in our new series, Identity Theft. We'll do just that. Help each believer truly know who they are in Christ. Thank you for joining us. Welcome our listeners to the Identity Matters podcast. This is number 156, just in our Identity Matters series. But we do all these little sub-series within the Identity Matters overall series, and our title tonight is called The Millennial Generation Part 8. Those of you who have not heard the first seven parts to the Millennial uh, teachings. I would encourage you to go back and listen to them because each one of them kind of uh, stack upon the other and build upon each other in regard to getting the overall principles uh, across to the listener. So we do thank you for joining us. And I want you to open up your Bibles if you have them. Those of you who are listening through our Sermon.net uh, podcast, You'll notice right there on your smartphone or on your laptop where it has the passage, Matthew 10, verses 34 through 39. Just tap on that and a Bible will open up. And as you're listening to the podcast, you can actually be looking at the scriptures we're preaching. So I want you to check this out. Here's what it says. Do not think that I, this is Jesus Christ, by the way. Do not think that I, Jesus, came to bring peace on earth. Really? Now, wait a minute. I thought these songs that we sing at Christmas time say, you know, that he did come to bring peace on earth. But you know what? I would have to say Jesus is a liar. Because there's no peace on this earth. So there is kind of a question that it should leave us like, well, what did he mean then? Because there are passages that, that talk about he is peace. It's one of his names. Well, you see, when God the Father looks at his son, he looks at the beginning, the Alpha and the Omega. He sees the whole story at one time. So he must be on some kind of a sectional mission. There's different parts to it that is going to lead up to peace forever and ever. But here he says in the, in, in the beginning part of his ministry, his ministry was only how long? It was what, 20 years? Three and a half years, not three. Three and a half years. It is symbolic and it is literally setting us up for an image of understanding the first three and a half years of the tribulation. 
What is the first three and a half years of the tribulation? What is the reputation that's already been attached to the first three and a half years of the tribulation? Peace. And here he comes out with this radical statement. I mean, this is really radical. The new millennial Jesus is not going to say this. Okay? But here's what he says. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And it will not be made out of oak. So Jesus saying, don't, don't think that I came here to bring you all peace. I came not for peace, but with a sword. Now, there's lots of symbolism connected to the sword as well. It could go something like this. Do not think that I came to bring you peace, the Antichrist type of peace. I did not come to bring you that kind of peace, but I came to bring you the sword of the Spirit. Truth. And that's exactly what he did. And then he goes on to say, for I came to set a man against his father. Really? And a daughter against her mother. Sorry, honey. And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And then he says, He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who, was found, he who has found his life is, will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Now, This is a very disturbing passage when we just read it and try to understand it with human logic or reasoning. This just does not sound like the Jesus that we are called to serve. Because we live in a world where you basically passively avoid conflict the best that you can. And you don't talk to each other. And you don't try to resolve things. You don't try to create any waves. You, you, you want peace at all cost. Well, I'm here to tell you at 602-292-2982 is that kind of peace is the Antichrist peace. When you, are, when you are constantly taking the lower pathway of peace, peace, but there is no peace, you are functioning as a coward. It's antichrist peace. This is what Jesus is addressing here. This is, I didn't come to bring you antichrist peace. Fake peace where you're nodding your heads and smiling at each other and giving each other's hugs while you're stabbing each other in the back. See, that's, that's not peace. 
The type of peace that Jesus is talking about here is carrying your, your, your sword and dragging that cross as you are walking in and through Jesus Christ. The cross is the historical symbol of torture. So, there is a very, very powerful statement being made here. And the enemy will go to any extreme that he can in a person's life to have them do the self-effort in every piece of this verse, these verses. Self-effort peace is the Antichrist peace. If you're a people pleaser, you are functioning as the Antichrist. That's a 602, sorry. There is no real Jesus in that. But see, we have labeled it more of a psychological label or a personality trait. I'm kind of a people pleaser and, and we kind of handle it like it's no big deal. Well, it's really, why don't you just say it as it is? You know, I'm kind of an antichrist. I'm not going to confront my fears. I'm not going to confront my enemy. I'm not going to... You see, it is a cowardice way of getting around the gospel. It means you're ashamed of the gospel. I am not afraid to say to my wife or my children or my grandchildren or my adopted children or my spiritual children, I'm not afraid to say to them, I will choose Jesus over you any day of the week, any moment of those days. You see, I want to leave this world and enter my real world, which is the world that is being prepared for all of us. I want to enter that with such a wild boldness and authenticity of true faith, which is Jesus' faith in me, that I am willing to forsake my father, mother, brother, sister, son, daughter, daughter-in-law's father. Yeah, forsake it all for the sake of being held in a worthy category, well done, my faithful brother, son. That's what I want to hear. But you see, rejection is connected on an earthly level by the enemy that you become paralyzed by not seeing the smile or getting the hug from a loved one, a father, mother, brother, sister, daughters, whoever. And it tortures us. Instead of reading this and going, God, I want that. Well, as you know, that's one of my flesh's toughest things. Because I grew up a people pleaser. An anti-Christ faith, uh, a peace kind of guy. Just avoid conflict anytime, any way that I possibly could. And then... In my adult years, I am called to go to the front lines of rejection, the front lines of, of insults and persecutions and distresses. That just weirds me out. It's opposite of me. Total opposite of me. 
There was no boldness in me growing up. I was a coward, classic coward, my entire life until I met Jesus. And something very radical happened inside me. This. It just so happens I have my own stories wrapped in and around all those those uh, individuals, those characters that Jesus is mentioning in this passage. And it does hurt. I'm not going to lie to him and I'm not going to lie to you. It does hurt when your family does not love you. It hurts. But I thank God that it usually only takes a little while. Sometimes it takes me coming upstairs and going, Honey, I'm pouting again. I need to have you pray for me or whatever. Or God gets a hold of me directly and goes, I need to remind you of something. I've read that passage how many times? Probably have it memorized. But he had to stop me in my day and say, Stephen. And he spoke it. Then I was trying to go and find it on my computer at the same time. And when boy, when it lined up, it was like I was humbled before the face of God. Well, I know what's coming next. I know what's coming. You see, the Lord does like what he does with Jack. He, he warns him. They're not going to like what you're going to teach, Jack. 90% of them will reject you. And 10% will receive it. Well, that's not how Facebook works. We need the, out of the 500 friends that we have, we need 400 of them flipping their thumbs up. And if 100 of them flip their thumbs down, then we can deal with it. But if there's 450 of them with their thumbs down and 50 of them with their thumbs up, <gasps> what did I, I didn't say it right. I, I, yeah. And that's what we do as humans. Bummer. Now, I'm going to twist this up a little bit. What if the enemy, he who has found his life, will lose it? He has lost his life. For his sake, Jesus' sake, who's going to find it? Why well, went my favorite little millennial sites Start digging up some statistics, and guess what I found? Millennials reject parents and grandparents. It is on their mission statement. So this passage that we just read is one of the least preached passages in the New Testament. Why would that be? Definitely. If it's you last. If it's you what? It, it puts you last? It puts you last. You have to be nothing in order that Jesus is everything. And the millennial... Most of the rest of the world is like, 
you know, I don't know how many times a day I hear, you deserve that. No, no, I don't. Don't say that. <laughs> but it puts you in the position of being last. Okay. Jess, what was that you read in the magazine on the airplane? Something about independent millennials? What was that again? That one-third of millennials, as of 2016, do not work in a workplace, but are independent workers, freelancers. Because they were addressing an economical issue, right? This is not just the millennial generation they're anticipating. Everyone, all workers. All Americans, that 50% will be independent or gay. In other words, no boss. So they have fancy names for it. Like the gig, is it called gig? Yeah, gig. Okay, so they got fancy titles for it. But what it basically means is that 50% of the entire workforce will not have a boss. So you've got to ask the question, how is that going to affect society? How is it going to affect the church? How is it going to affect the authoritative pastors of the local church? So... The people are used to assuming that Jesus came to bring peace. And I would add to that prosperity. I think they have a title for that, Shannon, don't they? What's it called? The Prosperity Gospel. The Prosperity Gospel. Whatever happened to the Gospel of Jesus Christ? No, we got Social Gospel. We got Prosperity Gospel. We have the... the uh, self gospel, or the, they call it the me gospel. They had, you know, whatever happened, just Jesus Christ. The good news about Jesus Christ. He came to bring a sword in order to separate his bride from mother, father, brother, sister, children, or any other relationship that interferes with his intimacy with us and our intimacy with him. That's why as I was listening to Jess last night on, on her taking me through the Beth Moore conference, I'm like, this lady is hearing God. I mean, I immediately bore witness with that. I mean, there's a similar message being preached throughout the world by leaders like her and janitors or field workers or whatever, they seem to be saying a the same kind of thing. We're being prepared for something. Now, I know the Lord likes to prepare me ahead of time. It's because He's very gracious with me. And I am ministered to when He gives me these little these little golden nuggets, but then it doesn't really take me long to know Something very significant is about to happen. It usually involves me being afraid. Because why would he send some message if something, I'm going to preach on something that I am not afraid to preach on, like tonight? 
But I'm telling you, there are certain groups, certain situations that I'm in, I get flooded with fear and I can't breathe. This is your pastor, your podcast preacher talking. I cannot breathe. I can't move my hands from the pulpit because they're shaking so bad. Yes, that's at 61 years of age. I still have fear that binds me. And God has to say, you better get ready. Because I'm going to cut loose through you. You're a nobody. He who thinks he's something, Stephen, is nothing. And so, but he who knows he's something is everything. In other words, you can be released for anything if Christ is behind it. Well, you know what the enemy goes, I am going to build the millennial generation and then I'm going to kill them. So I'm going down all these statistics and there's pages of them. I'm just scrolling down, you know, until something caught my eye. And there it was. The highest rate of suicide in the entire history of the United States of America is right now. And guess who's putting guns to their heads? Male millennials, not the females. Jane, what's the statistic the Bible talks about in the the ratio of male female in the end? Three to one. Three women to one man. Hmm. If Z generation is the last generation, possibly. Well, that was a, a little more than an aha for me. So I asked the question, why the males? You guys, you ladies are just as nasty as we are. Your flesh is just as wicked. Well, it's pretty simple. The workforce, it's these men that I believe that will not have any bosses. The women, this is, this is just normal statistics for you. Women are being hired preferably over men because corporations know that the sexual harassment lawsuits are fewer if you hire a woman. Okay. Women are more loyal and actually harder workers than men. Okay. Women are more level-headed because they're not always thinking with their flesh or with their eyes. Women tend not to work for money to have a boat, a toy. Women tend to work to pay bills. We've known that one for a couple generations already. Well, see, bosses are figuring this out. Hire a woman. Not the guys. 
And what's happening is these lazy millennials, and they're not all lazy. My, my daughter, for Pete's sake, is a millennial. Doesn't she look like one? That's why I, I'm starting to fall in love with uh, I am they. Because they're very millennial in look and whatever. But their message is clear. So I'm not trying to offend you if you're one of the millennials. In fact, our goal is to extract the quality millennials out and to give them a proper worldview and set them off to do whatever they believe God wants them to do. Write music or, or programs to change the world. But you see, the enemy is after something else. I think the enemy can read. For sure, hear things. I believe the enemy does hear our preaching. And I, I believe the enemy is able to extract prophetic statements out of the Bible. Like 1 to 3. Hmm. Since God won't do the killing, how can we do this? Let's get abortion to be popular. It's like throwing out a can of peanut butter because you didn't care for the chunks. Let's just make it a nothing. It's just a decision. So think about this, folks, at 602. Think about this. If God is moving and has been moving for the past couple generations to increase the male child for leadership, and the enemy saw that coming, and he legalizes abortion worldwide. Do you know how many future prophets and pastors and teachers and counselors and exhorters and whatever were being terminated daily? I heard the statistics would mess up our minds if we knew them globally. And now we got suicides at such a rapid, fast pace that men are dropping into God only knows where through these suicides. And what is it going to leave the world with? The disease. Now what would we, were we talking about before the service kicked in about the millennials are known for listening to who, Cindy? Daddies or? So you see, there's one tiny, tiny little piece of prophecy that's being unfolded for us right now. The slide before told you how much that they despise parents and grandparents, correct? Well, you know, I hate to think like the enemy, but I do like to belly up to his conference table and listen once in a while. And the perfect way to get rid of the parents is what Jesus said. There shall come a day when the children will rise up against their parents and 
kill them. Yes, euthanize the old folks. Throw the handicapped people in there too. Let's get rid of them. You see, what Hitler was doing was really aged and he was before his time. That's why I know it was demonic. And today, we are doing the exact crimes of Hitler by law and not seeing it any different than a can of peanut butter and killing your grandpa with assisted suicide. You've been listening to Identity Matters Podcast. We appreciate having you join us today. Feel free to log on to our website at www.iomamerica.org. We have lots of resources available for you on the believer's identity in Christ. Again, thank you for joining us.